0: Well, good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Um, I want to share an announcement with you before we, we dive in uh, to today's message. And um, that is, I, sh- I talked with you guys a couple weeks ago, um, February 10th. I hope you have it marked. hope you have it circled on your calendar. But we're going to be doing an all-church event over at Maine Mariners Hockey, Minor League Hockey. And so we have something really cool for you guys. Our teens um, and Pastor TJ are going to be in the foyer immediately following service this week, this Sunday, and next Sunday. And they have out there free tickets to the hockey game uh, on February 10th that you can pick up for you and your family Um, and so we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, They do have some little donation jars there because they are raising money for NYC for the students who are going, so if you'd like to make a a donation to support our teenagers, we would love that as well, but we want everyone to be able to go. We want our entire church to be able to go out if you're able to on Friday February 10th to Maine Mariners Hockey and it's going to be a fun night. We have an entire section, I think near center ice that they have lined up for us. Uh, Bring your kids. The mascot will come out and do pictures with the kids. The the entire church will be invited out onto the ice at the end of the game for for us to be able to get a group picture. Uh, The teens are going to be running a concession stand, so we can get our concessions from them, and uh, they'll get proceeds from that to also help them as a fundraiser for NYC as well. Um, And we're even going to get to highlight the church. We're going to have Brandon Stultz, uh, our board chair who's over, over there on our right. Um, he's actually going to be on the Jumbotron during one of the breaks. He's really excited about that, as you can tell. But uh, he's going to talk a, a little bit about our church and Lighthouse Daycare and, um, and share about that. Our Life Essentials team is going to have a little area where they're talking about our clothing ministry and all those kinds of things for us really to be able to share with the community um, what we're doing as a church, how we're shining a light in this community. And so we would love it, again, if all of you guys could come. Out with your families, be a part of that. Um, It's going to be a fun, fun time together again Friday February 10th tickets available in the lobby if you would like to serve at this event we are looking for about six to ten adult volunteers to help out in concessions Um, you don't need a ticket if you're willing to serve in concessions you can let Pastor TJ know that's where Julie and I will be so if you want to say hi to us during the game you can come to the concession booth and say hi to us we're going to be supporting the teens by flipping burgers for you guys so that's where you'll see us um, during the Okay, Uh, it's also country music night. So bring a cowboy hat and prepare for some country music, but it is great to be back with you guys Um, had a a good time away with uh, with Julian Lincoln. Um, on a cruise the last couple weeks and um, did a little bit more work on my dissertation, but I actually got to get off the boat a few times and hit some beaches this time, so it was actually a little bit restful too. So this was more of a a break than than just a a work trip this time. Um, But as I said a few weeks ago, our staff team... Pastor Nancy, Pastor TJ, and and myself especially have been really, really excited about this first series of 2023 called Playbook. And and I'm going to tell you why in in just a second. But before we get too far into the service, I want to tell you how we're going to end our service today. Um, This series is really at its core about this idea of taking a next step in our relationship with God. And every single person who's in here today, every single person who's watching online um, this service, whether you are in middle school, a high school, college student, an adult, a senior, um, even your pastoral leaders, every single one of us here, whether you've been a Christian for a day or a Christian for 25, 30, 40 years or more, we believe that every single one of us has a next step that we can take in our walk with God. And we say all the time here that changed people change. And we truly, truly believe that. But in preparing for this week's message, uh, I kept feeling like this was also the perfect opportunity to give people who have never put their faith in Jesus an opportunity to be able to do so. And we do that A lot around here. We do that um, from time to time in our services. And so I just want to give you a heads up. And and here's why. Because the scriptures teach us that when people are exploring the idea of faith and God, they can come to this this moment. And we, we can't fully explain it. It's so common though and yet so diverse and, and so amazing it happens in cultures all around the world, people with different languages, different people groups, there's this moment where a person goes I get it. And it's like the blinders come off and it's like there's this like moment of clarity and for some of you, you know, who are with us right now Maybe you've never had that moment where in your life you've said, God, today's the day. I really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I'm making a decision to place my faith in what he's done for me and his death on the cross as the payment for my sins. And so, if that might be you, at the end of today's service, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to do that. And so if, if you're not a Christian and you are with us today and now you're thinking, oh, what did I just get myself into? Someone invited me to church on the promise of lunch afterwards. And now I got this. Please don't freak out. Please, please just know that you are loved and that we are so excited that you are joining us today. Um, but we believe God might have a plan in this today. Now, today we're in part four of this series called Playbook, and and a couple weeks ago, um, I shared with you guys a little bit about my childhood. I told you that I didn't grow up um, in a Christian home. My parents immigrated from India in the 1960s. Um, They were Hindus, and about a decade later, um, I came into this world in the late 70s, and they really wanted me to be an American because I was the first in my family born in the United States. And so when my childhood best friend became a follower of Jesus in middle school, he invited me to church with him. And my parents said it was okay for me to go and let me go. And soon I started hearing about this incredible God who loved me. And he wasn't this far away, detached, distant God, but he was a personal God and a present God and an active God, a God who cared about my life. And I also started to meet some incredible people at this little church that I began attending in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, called Melwood Church of Nazarene. Um, One of them was my pastor, Pastor Neil McPherson, and and, and another one was the district superintendent at the time, um, Dr. Jerry Porter. And and both of these men, in, in different ways... They continued to pour into me and speak into my life. And and one of the things that they would speak into my life constantly was this idea, this notion that God has a great plan for your life. So as a young teenager, as a middle school student, as a high school student, I believed that. And, And some of my first prayers were, God, if you're really there, show me your will for my life. Show show me your will for my future and what I'm going to do about school and a career. Show me your will for my relationships. Show me your will for my future. And and as I attended church more and more, as I started um, reading my Bible, I was struck by some of the stories, like the story of little Samuel, who heard God's voice as a child And he began to listen to God and follow God's voice. And he became this great prophet in the Old Testament. So in my life, from probably high school until now, I have prayed this very simple prayer. God, show me your will for my life. And we said that that many people have asked this question in life. And we'll throw it up on the screens. But this was kind of our big question in this series. God, what are your plans for my life? What is your will for my life? Now, to be completely honest with you guys, there were some chapters in my life where I didn't pray, God, show me your will. And I'll tell you why. It's because I I thought I already knew what God would say, and I didn't want to hear it. God, show me your will. Uh, Never mind. She's not a Christian, but she's really hot, God. Maybe I can make her a Christian. God, let me be a missionary for you to her. Please, Lord. Anybody been there? Be honest. We're in church. You can, you can, you can be honest. All right, all right. A couple of you guys. Thank you for your honesty. There are times, right, where, where, you know, you want to do what you want to do. And because you want to do what you want to do, you don't dare pray, God, show me your will Because you're afraid that God really will show you his will and and you kind of know what he would probably say. Uh, This summer, we were talking as a staff, we were planning our calendar a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about doing a potential series this summer called Dangerous Prayers. And that one might make the list if we do that series. But but for the majority of my life, um, I was raised thinking, God, show me your will for my life. Where should I go to college? What should I major in? Where should I live? Is she the one? And and let me just tell you something, church. Living like that can be powerful. It can be very powerful. Like like you read your Bible and and you read about like Moses having this burning bush speaking to him. And, And the apostle Paul, you know, seeing the blinding light, that conversion experience that like knocked him down. Never had an experience like that. I've never had an experience like that. Jonah, you know, the fish ride, don't want to have an experience like that, okay? But seeking God and his plan for your life can be powerful. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're here today and you're, you're still not kind of sure about what you believe about God and Jesus and the Bible and is there a personal God, I just want to tell you, it is a powerful prayer And a powerful way to live. God, if you're there, show me your will for my life, for my marriage, for my kids. I I don't know how you speak. I don't know how you listen. I'm kind of new to this whole thing. I'm still figuring out what I even believe about you. But God, if you're there, I want to turn my desire, my attention towards you. Show me your will for my life. This is how I grew up. This is how my wife, Julie, grew up. This is how we're trying to raise our kids to think. And I just want to let you know today, it's never too late to begin asking God, what is your plan? What is your playbook? What is your will for my life? Now, here's why I believe this is extraordinarily important. Your life is essentially the sum total of the decisions that you've made in life. And here's what I mean by that. There are some things that nobody has control over in life, but for the most part, your life is about the decisions you've made or the decisions that somebody in authority over you has made, like your parents. So life is really a lot about decisions, In fact, many of us, we wish we could go back in time and undecide some things, right? Like it would be really nice to go back to when we were 13 or 18 or 25 or 35 and undecide some things. That bad childhood friendship, undecide that. Not studying in school and goofing off too much, let me undecide that. The first marriage, definitely undecide that. Don't you wish you could go back? And undecide some things in life. But what if for your whole life. You had been a person. Who sincerely prayed. Woke up every day. And you started your day with God. I know what I want. But what do you want. For my life. I want to know what you want God. I just want to tell you. As somebody who has tried to pray that for years and know many people who have kind of grown up with that kind of a thinking, it is a powerful, life altering thing to try to pray that every day. So I still pray it. God, show me your will for my life. God, show me your will for our church. God, I just want to be in your will. And here's the great news. Our God has invited you to call him your heavenly father. And get this, God created communication. So you have a heavenly father who is the greatest communicator ever because he's the creator of communication. And even if you don't believe there's a personal God, I dare you to start praying this prayer because It won't hurt you, will it? At worst, you're simply talking to air. God, show me your will for my life, my marriage, my children, my grandchildren, my career, my future, my retirement plans. God, show me your will. God, I want to know your will for my life. At worst, you're talking to air. But if God is real, as the Bible teaches us that he is, And if he is a personal God who cares about you, as Jesus taught, if he cares about your life, and he cares about your future, the implications of praying like that and living like that are unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, if you search your Bible for the phrase, will of God you will discover there are three major categories of the will of God that you could kind of sort things into. And these are the three big categories. We'll put them up on the screen. The three big categories are the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and the personal will of God for you. Those are the three big areas. Now, the one we're most interested in out of those three is which one? The last one, right? Because we're selfish. We, we want to know about us. About our decisions, about what we're going to do in life. We want to know do I ask her out or not? Do I take that job or not? Do I go to that school or not? We don't really even care about the other two, right? The providential will of God. I'm like, what even is that? I don't care. The moral will of God. I don't think I want to hear about that, right? But what I want to know is the personal will of God for me. I want to know what am I supposed to do? What decisions am I supposed to make to be able to truly have a blessed life? But here's what I've discovered, church. The clearer you become with the first two, the easier it is to discover the third. The clearer you become with the first two, The providential will and the moral will of God, the easier it is for you to discover the personal will of God. So let's take a minute to unpack these. Let's start with the first one. The providential will of God. The providential will of God. The providential will of God is what God is going to do anyway. If you're a parent and you're here this morning, can you raise your hand for a second? Look around the room. A lot of parents. Okay. You guys are probably going to get this easier than everybody else. Okay. This is like, I know you want to hear the baby shark song for the hundredth time today, but we are turning the TV off and going to bed. Why? Because I'm your parent and I'm about to blow my brains out if we play that song one more time. And I think sometimes God kind of does that. He's like, I'm God. (laughs) I'm not trying to be fair. I'm trying to be God. And I always tell my kids something similar. Life is not fair. I'm not trying to be fair right now. I'm trying to raise you and not lose my mind. Okay, that's what I'm trying to do. So in the Bible, we find references to the providential will of God constantly throughout Scripture. And and I'll throw some quick examples to you. In the Bible, God decided in his providential will to call a man named Abraham and make him a promise that he would become a nation that he would have more descendants than the stars in the sky and that from him would be a nation. And then God decided to raise up this nation known as Israel so that people would get to know what God is like through his relationship with Israel and all their ups and downs and how they turn to him and then rebel against him and all of this kind of stuff that happens over a time in history And then God decided through his providential will that through this nation of Israel, through a lineage of Abraham, he would eventually bring forth his son Jesus into the world. This is just what he did because he's God and he decided and he could. And then Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he said this, and this is where it impacts all of us today. Jesus said, okay, let me tell you what else God is going to do in his providential will. God is going to create this thing now called the church. And Jesus is standing with his disciples one day. And for those of you who are going there about 50, going on the trip to Israel next year. You're going to get to go here to a place called Caesarea Philippi. This is where Jesus kind of talks about this and Jesus standing with his disciples one day and he says, "Okay, I know there are only a few of us here, but let me tell you guys what's going to happen. We're going to start a movement. God's going to use you guys actually to start a movement called the church. And even the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. And they were like crickets. They're like, seriously, Jesus? There's like 12 of us. And everybody, like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Roman Empire, everybody hates us. And now you're telling us you're going to leave us pretty soon and we're going to start a what? And then Jesus went on to say, and I want you to go out into every nation of the world and tell the good news. But see, here's the thing, church. In God's providence, the church was launched, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. And within just a few generations, a handful of people took the message of Christianity and launched it into the major faith, into the dominant religion of the entire world. And that's not just incredible, that's a miracle, That is a miracle of history. And people in history have tried to stop the providential will of God, but they can't. They can't. Every time somebody stands in front of the providential will of God, God runs through them and keeps going. And I'll give you some examples. There was this guy, Pharaoh. God said through Moses, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, I'm Pharaoh. I'm God on earth. A few months later, Pharaoh said, Moses, please go. Take your people. You can have some of the wealth of Egypt. Please get out of here. Can't handle this anymore. There's a guy named Saul of Tarsus. We now know him as the Apostle Paul. The church is launched, and this guy Saul decides... I'm going to kill all of these crazy Jews running around talking about Jesus forming this Jesus cult. The religious leaders back him and they're like, great idea. Here's some money. Here's some soldiers. You have permission to go hunt these people down and kill them. Get rid of this cult called the way this early church. And God just laughs and says, Nuh-uh. Saul, I'm going to use you to grow my church. And he turned Saul into Paul, the guy who wrote half of our New Testament and planted more churches than anyone in history. You can't stand in front of the providential will of God and win. What about these guys? They're not in the Bible, but if you like history, you've heard about them. Emperor Nero of Rome tried to kill all the Christians. In fact, burnt the city down and blamed it on Christians to try to wipe them out. And God is going, bad decision, Nero. And a few years later, God puts a new emperor in Rome named Constantine who declares himself a Christian and makes Christianity the new religion of the Roman Empire. In more recent history, this guy comes along. Says, I'm going to get rid of all the Jews. And God's going, bad decision, dummy. They're my people. If you mess with them, you mess with me. Here's what you need to know. The providential will of God, don't get on the wrong side of it. And it's not that God doesn't love you. It's that God is in charge. Now, here's the great thing about it. You've been invited to participate in the providential will of God. Every single one of you. I know we don't think about it this way because we've got jobs and kids to raise and all that stuff and I understand that and I'm a little weird, TJ and Nancy and Amanda and Julie and I, we're, we're kind of weird and you know we're pastors and we get to live in church world all the time but I wish you could just kind of grasp this way of thinking. Your participation in your church when you give when you serve When you show up, when you invite people to come with you, did you know that when you do those things, you are participating in the providential will of God? It is God's will that in this generation, the whole world will hear the name of Jesus and that people will connect with him. It is God's will that in this generation here in Maine, in a place that is considered by many to be a post-Christian society, that people will come to know Christ and the church will grow and multiply. And Nero couldn't stop it. And Hitler couldn't stop it. Our culture can't stop it. Ain't nobody can stop it. And did you know that simply by participating in your church, you are leveraging your time, your talents, your resources, your finances into what God is up to in the world today. And what is happening in our world today and what is happening in our church today is just as significant as what happened with Abraham and with Moses and with the nation of Israel and with the launch of the church. This is just what God is up to during this period of time in history, during this generation And this is why I love the church. And this is why I love my church. Maybe for most of us, the most significant thing that we're ever going to do in our lives is protect the church and hand it off healthier to the next generation. That's the providential will of God. The second category is this, if you're taking notes, the moral will of God. The moral will of God. This one is easy. The moral will of God is those things in the Bible that we're supposed to do and that we're not supposed to do. It's all those things, you know, in the Bible that are the, the do's and the don'ts, the goods and the bads. Newsflash, if you weren't aware, it's God's will that you don't murder someone. It's God's will that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's God's will that you love other people. It's God's will that you forgive other people. It's God's will that you honor your mother and your father. This is the part of scripture that we sometimes wince at. That we sometimes cringe at. This is the part that sometimes we want to duck and we want to dodge and we want to try to find escape routes. But this is the part that when we get it right, it's like, wow my life is actually better. I'm not falling off a cliff and facing some big life-altering negative consequences. I'm not falling in a pit. I'm learning how to love my wife the way Christ loves the church, and we're actually getting along better. And our marriage is stronger now 20 years in than it was when we first got married. And when we get this right This is where life change really happens. This is where we really start seeing change people change. It's when we finally say, okay, God, the answer is yes. I admit that you're God. I'm not. I admit that you're smarter than me, and I'm going to trust what you say about how I should live my life, even if I don't fully understand. Now, here's the last one. Here's the one that we've waited for. Number three the personal will of God. Now the personal will of God is always again found within the context of the providential and moral will of God. The more familiar you are with the providential and moral will of God, the easier it'll be for you to discern the personal will of God. It just is. The more familiar you are with the first two, the easier it will be for you to discern God's will personally for your life. And this is why, parents, please please listen to me, this is why it's absolutely imperative if you are a parent that you get your children as young as you can into church. If you have elementary and preschool age kids, it is why... Every Sunday, you should be trying to bring them to Lighthouse Kids and connecting them with the wonderful small group leaders there. If you've got middle school and high school students, you should be trying to bring them every opportunity you can to fuse, to connect with the wonderful small group leaders there and with Pastor TJ and that student ministry team. Because as they learn about God from a young age, it'll be easier for them to discern God's will for their lives the more familiar you become with what God has done and with what God is up to and with what God wants to do in terms of of right and wrong, it is so much easier to discern what am I supposed to major in when I go to college? Where do you want me to live? Who do you want me to marry? How much money do you want me to give away? How do you want me to spend my life? All of those things become so much more clearer because they're always found in the context of God's providential will and God's moral will. Now, having said all that, I want to spend our last few minutes this morning showing the application of this idea, which is laid out pretty well in scripture by the apostle Peter. And if you brought your Bible with you, I'm just going to look at six verses with you in Scripture today. Six passages. And then we're going to wrap up and land it for today. And and these passages are found in 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, and you want to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, go ahead and do that. As always, we'll also throw verses up on the screens as well. Peter, as you probably know, was one of Jesus' main disciples. That means that he spent a massive amount of time hanging out with Jesus, listening to Jesus teach. And when Jesus left the planet, Peter took on a major role in this new thing called the church, this group called the way. In fact, if if you are with us today and you come from a Catholic background, you were taught that Peter was the first what. Hope That's right. So when Jesus said, I am launching this thing called the church, he also pointed out, Peter, God revealed to you first the truth about who I am, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior. And Peter, you're going to have a major role as we get this thing, the church, going. And so Peter is a very, very important character in this group of leadership. And then Jesus leaves, and Peter starts eventually working with Paul. So Saul of Tarsus has this conversion, becomes the apostle Paul. It takes a little while before Peter and the other disciples trust that this is really a God thing, and he's not trying to to still hunt them and kill them. And Paul just wants to learn from them, because Paul didn't get to travel with Jesus and learn from Jesus and all these things. So he's trying to learn from Peter everything he can about Jesus, and, and they build a relationship together. And and they're kind of tag teaming things. I mean, Peter is working in Jerusalem with the Jewish community. And Paul is kind of going around the Mediterranean, hitting the Gentile, the non-Jewish communities and planting churches around the Mediterranean. And like Paul, Peter, as he's working with, with these churches, he would write them letters to mentor them, to coach them. I mean, this is a brand new thing, the church And it's against the law in most places where it's starting. And they're starting these little churches, mainly like in people's houses, underground. And so Peter writes letters. He writes a bunch of letters, but we have two of them that have survived 2,000 years, that have survived history, and are now found in our Bible. And they are creatively called 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Okay? If they ever found a third letter that was, you know... You know, confirm that it was written by Peter, it would probably be called what? Third Peter. You guys are now Bible scholars like Pastor TJ. Congratulations, okay? So, anyway, in one of these letters, Second Peter, he addresses a question that popped up in the church, and it's where I wanna land for today. And the question is this there were some, some people in these new churches, and they weren't Jewish, and they were trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. And him coming back and all this kind of stuff. You know, he died. He rose from the dead. He disappeared in the sky. And he said he's coming back. And they're like, look, we like a lot of this whole Jesus thing. Forgiveness. Wow, that's awesome. Forgiveness for our sins. God loves us. Man, we're all for that. But Jesus coming back someday and judging the world that's a little cringy for us. And so Peter's like, okay, let's talk about that. And he writes a letter and he addresses this issue. And here's what he said. It's found in second Peter chapter three, picking up in verse four. He says, they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, nothing's changed. Everything just goes on. Time just goes on and on and on. It's hard to believe that God is really going to interrupt time one day, call a time out, and Jesus is going to come back. Verse five. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So here's what he's saying. He's going, but wait, 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 wait. I know you think that time just goes on and on. It's been going on forever. It's going to go on forever. It's always going to be that way. But remember, once upon a time, there was nothing. In the beginning, there was nothing. Once upon a time, nothing existed. And then God intervened and bang, something came from Nothing. So although it might seem like time goes on and on forever, we should all know better. Now, 2,000 years later in, in our day and age, in our culture, we really do know better because there are really smart, you know, astrophysicists and things like that who have told us that they've done the math and the universe is expanding and physics reveals that time and the universe is expanding because it had a starting point. That there was this singularity. And so Peter's point is this. It seems unrealistic that God would stop time and judge the world. But remember, there was a point when there was no time. There was a point when God started time. There was a point where God spoke reality into existence. And then he goes on, verse 6. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And he said, Remember, there was also a time in history when God stepped in and interrupted and called a time out, and he wiped out everything on the planet except for one family and some animals, two by two. And they're going, Ah, yeah, okay, I remember that Noah story. God did judge the whole world one time and he judged it by water. God has interrupted history before. So then they think, that then why is it that Jesus hasn't come back yet? Why is it that all these things that are promised haven't happened yet? Because it just seems like life goes on and on and on and on. But Peter is teaching this, and this, this is our point today, so don't miss this, church. In God's providence... He is going to interrupt time. In God's providence, there is going to come a point where He says, I'm God, I'm turning baby shark off. In God's providence, time will one day come to an end. And here's how He describes it: Verse 7 By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction. Of the ungodly. He's going I know this is uncomfortable to hear. It's kind of cringy. You don't want to hear it. But remember that once upon a time. There was nothing. And God started it. Once upon a time the world went crazy. And God did a restart. With Noah and his family. And just because Jesus hasn't come back yet. Doesn't mean he's not coming back. Because in God's providential will. He's coming. And there will be. Be judgment. Verse eight. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, don't get hung up on the Mayan calendar and trying to predict the end times and when the end of the world is coming. God doesn't measure time that way. And then look at this next part. Now it gets personal. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Here's what Christians believe. Here's what this passage of scripture teaches. Here's what history points to. That God has made a promise. And I don't know a lot of the details. I mean, I can't even argue with you the fairness of it. But God has made a promise that one day, Every person will give an account for their life. That heaven and earth as we know it will come to an end and there will be a day of judgment. But here's the cool thing about God. God is not slow. But God is patient. Patient about what? Last part of the verse. Verse nine. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. The word perish means to die without hope, to die without the promise of eternal life, to die and wonder, oh my gosh, do I just disappear from existence? Just go into blackness. Peter says God's personal will You want to know God's personal will? His number one personal will for your life is that you would not perish, but that you would turn to him and begin a personal relationship with him through repentance. So you're going, yeah, but I want to know what car to buy and if I should date him or date her. If you want to know what God's personal will is for you, this passage says it starts with repentance. Repentance. Repentance means you change teams. Repentance means you change from trying to be good enough with the hope of eternal life to placing your faith in Jesus and changing the direction of your life and knowing that you will have eternal life with God. You want to know what God's personal will is for you? Here's the starting place. God's personal will for you is that you would come to repentance in light of God's providential decision to one day bring everything to an end and to bring people to judgment. Now, is that fair? I can tell you this, he's God. He makes the rules. When is it going to happen? I don't know. But he hasn't forgotten. And he's not slow. He's patient. And do you know why he's patient? And again, this is so awesome. He's patient because he loves you. He's patient because he loves you. For God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his one and only son. God's personal will for you. Step number one is that you would not perish, but that you would have eternal life, that you would turn over your life to God and acknowledge that Jesus came into this world and he willingly gave up his life to die for your sins and you would receive that free gift from God. So here's how we're going to end. If you listen to that and you think part of my brain is going, well, that, that sounds like it might be true and I might believe that, And if there has never been a time in your life that you have settled that issue once and for all about Jesus being your personal Savior, and you would like for there to be a day and a time that you can one day point back to, and you could say, you know, I don't know when I actually started believing, but I know when I put a stake in the ground. I know when I nailed it down and I said, yeah, I am declaring today, that Jesus is my Savior and Lord. If that's you, let me just tell you what I know about you. I don't know what car you should buy. I don't know what school you should go to. I don't know who you should marry. I don't know when you should retire. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is that God's will for your life is that you would repent and have eternal life. It is God's will for your life that you would embrace his son Jesus as your savior and start a personal relationship with him. It is God's will for your life that you would not perish but instead have eternal life. So I want to give you that opportunity today to express that faith in God with gratitude for what he did. Sending his son Jesus for you. As we close, and the the worship team maybe you know plays a little bit here. I I just want to lead you in a prayer. And and you can change the words. The the words don't make you a Christian. This is just an expression of faith in Jesus. And it's that step of faith that makes you a Christian. The way we kind of illustrate around here is like this you're moving your faith off of yourself and what you've done onto your Savior Jesus and what he's done for you. That he willingly died on the cross as the full payment for your sins. And scripture teaches that that decision means that you are moving from death and darkness to light and eternal life. And I want you to know you're, you're surrounded today by many people who've made that decision, who've made that decision as children, as teenagers, as adults. Some people in this room have made that decision just in the past year, past few months. So if you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity to join them today. So would you guys pray with me? You Bow your heads, close your eyes, pray this out loud and you can use your own words, but would you simply say this? Heavenly Father, I believe you love me. I believe that you have great plans for my life. I believe that Jesus is your son who you sent in this world to willingly die on a cross as the payment for my sin. And right now, In this moment, I want to place all of my faith, all of my confidence, my trust, in what Jesus did for me. Receive me into your family, God. And show me day by day, the rest of your will for my life. In your son's name, in Jesus' name, I pray. You made a decision of faith today, I want to encourage you not to keep that a secret. We would love to hear from you. you come talk to me or one of our pastoral staff members, and we would love to celebrate that decision with you. It is really the first step on an incredible, incredible adventure that God has in store for you. God has great plans for your life. Can we stand together, church, and let's sing and celebrate what God is doing.
1: The season of Lent begins February 22nd. It's really just right around the corner, about three and a half weeks. And we're encouraging everyone to take part in a 40-day study leading up to uh, that Holy Week. Actually, that will be the first uh, week in in, uh, April. And and it's called 40 Days Through the Bible by Lisa Turkhurst. And it's just uh, a great overview from start to finish, from Genesis uh, to Revelation. And it's a -a five-day-a-week self-study you do at home. But if you're interested in taking part, you can purchase your own or you can have just sign up on the sign up sheet. And we'll be glad to purchase one for you uh, with a small donation of ten dollars. But it's going to be something that enriches your life and deepens your understanding of God and his word. So I just wanted to give you a little overview and something to think about. Let's bow our heads and quiet our hearts as we pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being big and great. Thank you for being large and in charge of this world and in charge of my little world. Lord, uh, today, what a reminder of the that, uh, the more we know you, the more we know your providential will. It's such a big word for just understanding, um, Lord, you and your ways and how you work in this world. Lord, how I pray that more and more we will growingly trust That as we bring to you our little intimate concerns, you will help us discern the personal will. Lord, the things that you know are for our good, for your will, your highest and best, and for our good. So, Lord, I say with the psalmist, show us your ways, teach us your paths, and lead us. For you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. Have a great week, everyone. God bless.